Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction." And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Chapter 6. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Do, so do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually, he sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so much here for you to take and apply to our hearts and convict us and to comfort us and encourage us and redirect us, Lord. And we are your servants here, those of us that know you. 
We want to grow as disciples of yours, Lord. We want to grow in maturity. So, Lord, help us to put all these things um, just completely open in our hearts for you to uh, address. Lord, we know that we don't even know our own hearts sometimes. And we want your word to speak to us individually, uniquely, by your Holy Spirit in our specific situations and lives. And we ask that and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We've been learning, as we've been studying through the book of Proverbs, uh, how to value wisdom and its rightful application, because really wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so you can know a lot of things, as we've talked about, but if you don't apply them and you don't know how to apply them, then it's not going to benefit you or help anybody else. And so we have this whole book filled with these amazing Proverbs. Solomon, as we've been discussing, wrote most of them. In his life, we're told in Scripture elsewhere that he wrote 3,000, over 3,000 Proverbs. Amazing. But we have these that have been captured uh, for us specifically by the, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things that we looked at is that he didn't always follow wisdom related to his life. We're talking about Solomon. At the end of his life, he didn't live according to these things. So even if you know these things and you know these things and three, you know, whatever, 2,500 other ones are, and you don't live by them, you're still going to suffer the consequences of someone that doesn't even, never knew that wisdom and was never used by God to share wisdom or any of those things. So it's incumbent upon us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And God has a lot of warnings in the book of Proverbs related to people that do not do what they're supposed to do. He calls them fools. They can be intelligent. They can be very well educated. They can be people that are respected. They can be people that you would look up to and say, that person is, has it all together and everything, but yet they don't follow what God's word says, and that thus they show themselves to be a fool. Now, and, and, and we're going to see here as we get into chapter 5, he's going to talk about wisdom preserves from sexual sin or helps you escape the repercussions or the implications or reaping the consequences of sexual sin. You know, it's funny, people say sometimes, you know, the Bible is just so dated <laughs> and we wish it were more relevant for today. Oh my goodness. I mean, just think about this. If people followed this book, the most horrible thing would happen in the world. They'd actually become disciples of Christ, and they would learn to love people and consider others better than themselves. That'd be horrible if we had that happen. You know? But they say it's just unbelievably um, irrelevant for today. But if you look at what God says in his word, what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to not do, it's so wise. It's so... It's so interesting that God lays out so much there but yet also there's so many things that he uniquely leaves out because he knows that by the Holy Spirit he's going to lead our individual lives and say that's okay for so and so but not for you that's not a sin issue that's a weight that the writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're supposed to lay aside and in every chapter in life those weights can change based on our 
calling and what we're in the middle of doing and all of those things. And so we think of the the application for today. What if people didn't fall for these things that we're going to be looking at today? You know, there's a 50% divorce rate in the church, church as much as out in the world. There's all these horrific statistics of fatherless homes. You know, there's the highest percentage of fatherless homes, that number is higher than so many of the other things that we look at in society, drug use, all these things, is much greater to, than all those combined. And God, God has been trying to preserve the family since the very beginning. And the enemy's been trying to attack the family from the very beginning. And we think that Proverbs is not relevant to us? Give me a break. You know one in four kindergarten children stumble upon a pornographic site? One in four kindergarten children stumble upon a pornographic site. The fastest group of porn users are between 11 and 14-year-olds. That's the fastest growing, growing group. And, and it's, just, it's just an epidemic of, of sexual sin and how it leads and where it starts. And God has so much wisdom for us to say, first of all, as parents and as husbands and wives and grandparents and all of that to to watch our own lives of course but then also to lead our children that's why I wanted the youth in here for all these weeks where he's saying my son my son my son my son to spare them of all those things but parents and grandparents you need to reinforce those things you need to back up these things and be consistent and follow up I wish I could say I've been perfect with it I haven't but I'm growing just like we all are. But it's very, very important. It's very relevant. So let's look at chapter 5 here. He says, my son, pay attention to wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. So he's saying, pay attention. He's been saying it over and over again. How many times does God have to say, pay attention, heed, take? He's been saying it constantly, chapter after chapter after chapter. That's how important it is. He's saying value wisdom. Go after her. He personifies wisdom with a she. Don't go after the immoral woman. Go after the other woman, wisdom. And she will preserve your soul. She will preserve your life. Lend your ear to mine. Notice he says my understanding. You know, in in Proverbs chapter 1, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 1, it talks about not being under the counsel of the ungodly. We need to have God's understanding. We need to have his word. We have to have his standard. We can't even have other Christians or churches that we respect be the standard. We have to have God's word alone be the standard for our lives. And he says that that way we will preserve discretion and, and that your lips may keep knowledge. You'll have the knowledge. It'll be on the tip of your tongue. You know when you can't remember something? You're just like... Oh, it is it on the tip of my tongue, and I can't think of it. He doesn't want that for us related to his wisdom. He wants his wisdom to be right on the right on the edge all the time, being readily available, not just for our own lives, but those that he's entrusted into our sphere of influence to be have an impact with them. Verse three: For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. So he's, he's comparing lips here. He wants, the, he wants the, our lips to, to keep knowledge, but he says there's some other lips, and those of the, are from the immoral woman. And women, you could put in the immoral man here. It doesn't, it's not just limited to, to women, of course. You know that better than anyone, women. There's a lot of immoral men out there. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, verse 4, She is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. 
Her feet go down to death. Her, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder a path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. So again, he begins, as we've seen in verse 1, the saying, my son. He's saying he's pleading to listen to this instruction. We have to know what those dangers are. Pass those on to our kids. We need to have filters on the internet. We need to have passwords. Our wives have our passwords or our, or our husbands have our passwords if we're in danger of getting off track. We need to watch the people that we're around at work and we got to be careful that we're not have alone with people that are the opposite. There are all these things we need to heed. We need to take it very, very seriously. And so he talks about this immoral woman. And, and all through Proverbs, this immoral woman, they use different words in Hebrew to describe a different types of women and different types of people. And in this instance, it's talking about, it seems to indicate um, more of an apostate woman. And that would be kind of given in that society. If she's doing this, she's already left her God or is backslidden and all of those things. And that's kind of how it goes. But notice he gives this description of her lips drip with honey. So she says sweet things about you. Listen, young men, those girls and those women will tell you very sweet things that you want to hear about yourself to entice you. Same with the, the, with the, the men, especially men, will say so many things to get what they want. You, know, you young ladies, don't fall for that, that uh, just compliments and trying to do whatever they can do to get you where they want you to be and, and take advantage of you. They don't respect you at all. If they start talking about you know, getting in bed with you and all these things, and, and, and if you really love me, you do this, and all, every, you know, all, they don't really respect you. They don't respect you. They don't care about you. They're just looking out for themselves, and, and their lips drip with honey, and their mouths are smoother than oil. They just look so attractive. He's saying, yes, there is attraction there. God isn't saying, don't, there's no attraction. Just, just deny that that exists. He's saying, no, there's attraction. I'm being honest with you. I'm shooting straight with you. But, that, but it's deceptive. It leads somewhere. I love how God is honest with how enticing um, things can be because he's honest. He made us, he made us sexual beings. But he, he has very specific parameters and a very specific scope that that should be expressed. When I was a young man, you know, my dad died when I was four. I didn't have any man to tell me, hey, son, you know, you need to be careful of this. And this is before the internet. You need to be careful of this and be careful of that and watch out. There was no person in my life that did that. And I got entangled in some of this stuff. And it took years to, to get out after coming to know Christ and everything. It's, it's very, very, it grabs a hold and those, those roots go deep. And it's very, very tempting. So we have to look for what the temptation is and flee from it. And notice he warns where this promiscuity leads in verse 4. But the end, in the end, see, that's what the world doesn't say. That's what the commercials don't say. There's going to be a lot of commercials today during the Super Bowl, most of which will be pathetic. Uh, and over, they overpaid for it, for sure. But they, many of them will use sex because sex sells, as they say. But what they don't show and they, they don't talk about is where it all ends, the person without a marriage anymore. That's now he's having or she's having to be sharing custody and paying child support and all these things. There are many, many people that are homeless because they're trying to avoid all these things, these responsibilities that they should be taking care of. I mean, it destroys lives left and right. They don't tell you the end. 
but, he, but God does. God's loving enough to tell us the end in verse 4. But the, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Yeah, her, looks, her lips look smooth. She's dripping honey from those lips. But it's wormwood. It's rot. Sharp as a two-edged sword. There's no escaping it. You don't escape two-edged swords. If you, if you get hit by a two-edged sword, you're going to get cut. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. There's a progression there. She le- she's going somewhere, and you're following where she's going. So you don't want to go that path. Verse 6, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. See, that's the thing. You think you know the path that she's on. You think that you know her, her path of life. You think that they're stable. You think that they're attractive. You think that they're wonderful, and it looks this mirage of a better life. Well, you know, this person I'm so unhappy with, but this other person looks like if I were with them, my life would be so much better. And it's a lie. It'll all come crashing down and it'll all be a lie and you'll wreck lives as a result of it. He says, you don't know them. Verse 7, therefore, hear me now. There's an urgency there, my children. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. So this is a son, I mean, a father sharing this to a son but also the broader context here, of course, is we need not depart from God's. This is God's word here. And his, these are words from his mouth. It's his standard that he's calling us as fathers and as parents and as grandparents to pass down to our children and say, do not let these words depart. Don't reject these, these instructions. Remove your way, notice, far from her. Not just <laughs> a little bit far as you can get away think of uh, joseph and potiphar's wife when he was the, she was aggressively going after him and he took off and went as far away from her as he could and do not go near the door of her house not even at the door see we flirt with sin we think oh i can get close to it i'm not gonna do any harm oh i would never go in her house i would never ever dream of that but i can go up to her house because i'm a strong christian i've been a christian for you know four months and i'm pretty strong or whatever it is, you know, and I, I've, I've read the book of John, you know, I, and, and no, I I've know about these things. I'm, I can stand up to it. I used to be in the world. I know all about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall. I can go up to her door and have a, in fact, I can go in her house and hang out and be, and I'll share Christ with her. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll share Christ with her. And that's what I'll do. And then you get a call from your wife and you're right in your living room. Uh, why don't you answer the phone if you're sharing Christ with her? Because your, your wife's not going to buy that, buy that and, you, and you know it. And there's good reason why. You're, you're playing with fire. And he's trying to warn us. Do not go near the door of her house. Verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. I have counseled many people, never thought in a million years, that one little compromise would have their whole world crashing down. And losing everything. And it does. And it all started with one text. It all started with one flirt. It all started with one rejecting to put a filter on my phone. Whatever it is, it all, it all started with the smallest of things. And he's saying, I'm trying to give you warning. Don't go down that path. Don't even get close to it. Don't even think about getting close to it. And set up barriers all around so that you can't even, it's very difficult to even get near getting close to the place where you're, in the general area where there could be the neighborhood, where there's the porch, where there's the door, where there's the house. That's how far away that you're wanting to 
to get those, to get from this temptation because it's real and it, there's, there's a real end to it and God isn't afraid to tell us. Verse 10, lest aliens be filled with your wealth. We're not talking about, you know, Star Trek or, you know, the, the bar scene in Star Wars, you know. We're talking about foreigners that come in that take your, that take your inheritance because Israel is all about land and all about inheritance, all about inheriting the land and all those things and your laborers and all those things and, and everything he's saying, all that, you're going to lose all that. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose the things that are important to you financially. You're, all those things are at stake. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Millions of people contract venereal diseases every day. Millions of people. There's some studies that say six out of ten people who cheat on their spouses get a venereal disease within six months. It's a real thing. It's not just that. It's everything else. Your life, your flesh, your body, your your finances, your reputation, your respect, all these things. Uh, and so many things can be undone that we've worked so hard to establish because we weren't careful. Look at me at verse, with me at verse 12. And say, this is the quote, this is what you're saying at the end. This is what I could be saying at the end if it were me. How I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. That's what God doesn't want to hear us say. I've heard these people. I've heard them weep and say, I can't believe this has happened. I had no idea this was coming. I didn't think they would progress this way. I had no idea. And my life is in ruin. They think that it's, it's... not, it's, they think it's just a specific relationship, but it's more than that. It goes far beyond. that. What they were playing with was far greater than what they ever, ever dreamed. And so this is what God's trying to spare us. You know, we think that God, some people think, well, God's a killjoy. You know, God is trying to ruin our fun. Young people especially think that, that God's trying to ruin our fun. Like, what, what can we, we do? You know, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do, obviously. But as it's, as it's been said, it's, it, it's forbidden because it's bad. It's not bad because it's forbidden. God knows that it'll hurt us, and, it'll, and he says, I'm trying to spare you of these things, and so we need to take that to heart. We need to listen. I don't care if we've walked with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. We are not immune from this. We are not immune from falling. If we've never even had this as a temptation in a dominant way. We are not immune from it. We have to guard against and honor the Lord with all of it. Amen? Now, in verse 15 through 21, God is going to tell us his alternative to sexual sin. Because again, God made us with sexual desire. And he, he made it very narrow. And he made it very rewarding. And he says in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. And running water from your own well. So he's comparing sexual desire with thirst. He gave us, he made us so that we thirst. And he made us to have sexual desire. It's not bad. God invented sex. But it's only supposed to be expressed in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what God's word says. 
And so he likens this to thirst, but he also likens it to something I possess. He says, your own cistern. You know, if you owned a cistern, that was really a big expression of wealth on that day, for sure. So it's a thing where I'm getting my own water from my own cistern and so forth. And he's saying, the running water from your own well, you need to drink there. So you need to have this expression, this need that we have, because we are that way. We, we, have, we have those desires. But we're supposed, just like every other expression of love, that expression of love is still other-centered. It's not to get something. The sexual expression within a marriage is to bless the other person. And yes, we get blessed as a result of it. But God, you know, some people say it's only for procreation and the whole, like, hey, God made our bodies the way he made our bodies. And he's talking about in this whole thing, he's not just talking about this, what he's describing here with this language coming up here is not just describing procreation. It's describing enjoyment. And so if we're about the other person, it totally changes it. And the world has twisted it and the enemy and all of that into a, a, a self-centered thing of getting my needs met. But it's about loving somebody else and blessing somebody else. And says, I've given you the solution. You need to just, instead of going up at a bunch of different drinking fountains, you know, you need to drink from your own well. Drink from your own person that I've blessed you with. Then he says in verse 16, should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? That's a waste. He's talking about waste. Don't waste. You need to use the streams that God's given you, that the water from that cistern, you need to use that, or else it's, it's, it's not being used the way he intended it to be used. Verse 17, let them be only your own and not your strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice with the wife of your youth. Rejoice with the... How can you rejoice with your wife? Physically and intimately. And be one with her as God intends. If you are engaged in drinking water from other places. You can't. And he says, that's not what I have for you. That's not what my plan is. That's not what is best for you. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Then he gets real specific here. Verse 19. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let your breast satisfy you. Let her breast, rather. That would be not good. <laughs> um, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Kind of got quiet here for a second. Um, but this is the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible here. And always be enraptured with her love. Because the immoral woman that's out there, the immoral man that's out there that are using you, for what they can get from you. There's no love involved in that. They're using you. You're, you're being consumed. I do, I do want to stress again, young ladies, listen to me. Do not fall for the lies. Do not fall for all the baloney that young boys will give and, and say they're masters at the baloney of giving the baloney stuff about how much they care and all of that to try to get you to, to be intimate with them. No, don't rob yourself of that. Don't rob yourself. This is what God's plan is. It's always best. Notice he uses the word enraptured. Enraptured. That's, what is the, that's what's waiting for us, to be enraptured with our spouse's love. And then he asks a rhetorical question in verse 20. Why would you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of, of a seductress? makes no sense at all it's so inferior it's so less than God's best that's what he's saying don't fall for it 
Marriage is beautiful. Now, I recognize not everyone's called to be married. But if you're not called to be married, God's given you the the gift of celibacy, which is a compensating grace for you to be single and for him to be all the things that you need him to be for your particular calling. But most of us are not in that category. Most of us are married or will be married. And if you're praying for that person, that's a great thing to pray for. And the best advice I could give you, because it's scriptural, because that's the only advice I try to give, is try to be the most godly person you can be. If you, it's so funny. People say, I want a godly wife. Well, do you think a godly wife would want you? Because you're not that godly. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, a godly wife would probably want someone godly, huh? Yeah. So that's how you prepare. You don't prepare by going out and searching like a madman. You go out searching by becoming the most godly person you can be. And then let God take care of all of those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-5 through 5 says, We are not supposed to deprive our spouses from that intimacy. It says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He said, so you're not supposed to deprive your spouse. You're supposed to, that's supposed to be a regular part of your marriage. And the only time you're not supposed to be intimate for an extended period of time is for fasting and prayer and seeking the Lord. That's, that's what that verse is talking about. So God's given us this amazing gift to enjoy in our spouses. And we, he wants us to value that and enjoy our spouses how he intends. Verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. It's a good little verse right in the middle of everything saying, you think that you're secret about this, what you're doing. You think that your spouse doesn't know, but God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. So there is no secret relationship. Yeah, with our spouses, that may happen, and we'll get caught eventually. And that will be a horrific thing. But God sees every bit of it every single bit of it, and it grieves him. And we should be more concerned about that than anything else, as bad as it is to sin against our spouses. So we have to be very, very careful. Now, verses 22 and 23 warns us again, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. So he's just warning us and warning us and warning us. Notice in the verse, last part of verse 22, he says, he is caught in the cords of his sin. That's, that's a bondage description. You're being bound, and you think that we're free sometimes when we're very, very bound. He's saying that's, he doesn't want us bound whatsoever. He wants us completely free. Chapter 6. Now, the verse, verses 1 through 5 here talk about how to get into financial problems by doing unwise things and then the last verses 6 through 11 in the beginning of chapter 6 talk about financial problems that come up by doing nothing (laughs) so he starts with chapter 6 verse 1 my son he's here again talking to my son if you become surety for your friend 
If you have shaken hands in, in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by words of your, by the words of your mouth. What is surety? Surety is like a guarantee. It's like, kind of like you're co-signing. That's the closest thing that we have to that, where you're saying, or you're putting your name down alongside someone else's name and all of that. And all of this is not talking about lending in the sense of, because it talks about lending to others and not expecting to be paid back, people that are in need and all of those things. That's a whole nother thing. This is talking about the sluggard that he's going to get to in a moment. You're talking about the lazy person. So basically what you're doing is you are, by putting your name down and saying, I guarantee this loan, you are basically saying, I'm going to throw that money down the drain and I'm not helping my, the person that I care about because it's enabling them to continue in their, in their habit or in their life of not taking responsibility and trying to get out of situations and not, and not being responsible. So he says, I'm warning you. He says, verse 3, So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself and plead with your friend. He's saying, try to get out of this situation. If you've made this mistake, try to get out of it. He says, this is the urgency in verse 4. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So he's saying, with the, with the, excuse, the idea is, is that it, it, you're a target just as much as a gazelle and a bird, and you need to get out of this arrangement and use the urgent, same urgency that they, those things would to get out of the crosshairs of someone hunting them. You need to use that same type of urgency. You know, and, and, and all this with lending and be co-signing and all that, you know, sometimes people with, especially with the gift of mercy, they are at danger with kind of taking too much responsibility in people's lives and, 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 and not realizing that sometimes people need to, um, they need to be able to be, take ownership of their lives. And so we want to bail them out. And so we have to be very careful with that because, again, this is talking about the sluggard. This is talking about the, the person that is unwilling to, to work and to um, take responsibility for their lives. Now he switches from suffering financially by doing nothing. He's, and he starts with the ant as an example. I love this, how God, this is beautiful wisdom. I mean, we all know ants, right? We all come home and they're taken over. They're everywhere. Like, how did they get up there? I think my wife told me that some ants were coming literally right out of the wall the other day. Just a hole that was there. It's like, how did you find that path? And, you know, and they're very, well, they're very tenacious, and, and there's a lot that we can learn from ants. You know, you know you're going to get instruction about ants today. See, just an extra bonus in there. Like, just, uh, man, you're blessed, aren't you? Not really. But, the, but, but ants are busy. They're productive. They're very organized. And one of the things that you see about an ant is that they don't give up. They are very tenacious. They keep going, and they don't give up no matter, it seems like no matter what you do, they don't stop. So he says in verse 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. What's a sluggard? Well, we know what a slug is, right? They move, really, they don't really move anywhere. I mean, they, do they move? Do slugs move? I don't know. If they do, they don't move fast. And, and this erd at the end of sluggard is an intensive that they put on the end to say, you're a very intense slug, you know, and you're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. He says, consider her ways, the ant, 
and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So he's, he's trying to say, be wise. Look at, look at, I'll give you an object lesson, the ant. Look how wise the ant is. It doesn't have anybody writing them to do their job. And again, the whole point of verse 8 especially is it, it thinks ahead. The ant prepare, prepares and plans ahead and forecasts into the future and thinks about what's happening. One of the things that you do when you're training up people is how to think ahead. And all of us are growing in that, but you know, especially youth, or sometimes it's hard for them to think ahead. To forecast and to plan. He's saying, watch the ant. Do what they do. Be busy about the things you should be busy about, like ants are. They don't waste time. Ants aren't wasting any time whatsoever. They don't take breaks. They just keep going and going. And so, again, if you have a lazy person that wants you to co-sign for them, really the moral is, buy them an ant farm. <laughs> you know, buy them an ant farm and say, look, study the ant there. And you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll learn everything you need to learn about not needing to have this, uh, a cosigner for you. And, you know, and then he asks this question, verse 9, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? Oh, man, back in the day when I was young, man, I could sleep. I could sleep. I would just, I'd get up and do 20 minutes of raking the leaves and sleep for eight hours to recover. You know I mean? It just couldn't handle it. It was just too much for me, you know? And, and so you just like, man, I, 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 it's hard to, I mean, I had 20 jobs before I was 20. I was the poster boy of irresponsibility. Seriously, I was. And I, it was a hard road of learning. I didn't have any, no one taught me responsibility. No one taught me any discipline. I had to learn that the hard way out as an adult. And, and, and man, I remember telling my kids, you know, when they're eight, you know, you're more responsible than I was. I mean, you're way more responsible than I was when I was 20 at eight. You know, it's just, it's sad. But I was the fool, basically, uh, in the book of Proverbs. But he says, you get to three little expressions of little there. A little sleep, verse 10. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to sleep. So that's an repeating word. That's an that's important uh, observation there, you IBS students. There's, there's, a, there's a reason why it's, it's repeating it. It's because it's emphasizing that it doesn't take much to become a sluggard. It doesn't become much to not be like an ant. You have to try extra hard <laughs> to be like an ant. You can't just say, well, you know, it's a little, it's a little sleep, a little slumber. What does it mean to fold of the hands, you know, when you're on your back and you lie down and you fold your hands, you know, and you're just, ah, oh, yeah. You know, you're just lying there, just totally, you know, like, this is great. You know, all the time, your life's burning down around you because you need to be doing, taking care of this, doing this, doing that. But you're just taking it easy and all of that. So, again, this isn't talking about the person that is unemployed, that's trying to get a job. It's talking about the person that is lazy and doesn't want to even try to get a job. It's sometimes it's such a revelation to people that when they're out of work, their full-time job is to look for work. Oh, wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah, spend 8 to 10 hours a day looking for work. So people do that. This is talking about the person that is lazy. You know, Paul said, if a person will not work, then he won't eat. He doesn't say if he can't work, he won't eat. He says if he won't work. So he's saying, here we go. You know, we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We think that we're okay, but we're really way on our path to, to being this sluggard verse 11 so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed 
man. It just will come suddenly. So he's warning them. Now this is verse 12. He changes a little bit before we end here because we're only going to verse 19. So we're getting close. But he's talking about someone that won't work to someone that wants to work you. (laughs) wants to work me, a con artist. He says in verse 12, A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be, a, be broken without remedy. So in verse 11 and in verse 15, there's a common theme between these two people. The sluggard is just the person that's lazy. But then you have the wicked person that's trying to work people and work angles and try to con people. Both of them sudden, suffer something suddenly. And that's poverty and that's destruction that comes without remedy. Verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, the first one is a proud look. How do you do a proud look? How would I do my best proud look right now? Is that it? Or like looking down because you're looking down at people. You know, pride is to see yourself above. So maybe that's a proud look. I don't know what a proud look is. All I know is that God knows what it is and he hates it. So I think the most important thing for us is to look at what our hearts are because any look that comes from our hearts is going to be affected by our hearts changing. So we have to accurately look at ourselves. You know, that's what humility isn't saying, oh, I'm the lowest person ever and I'm always putting yourself down. That's not a humble person. A humble person is someone that gives an accurate description of what they are. You can actually say I'm great at doing something and be humble if you're doing it in the right spirit and the right way and, you know, all those things. I mean, Jesus said a lot of things about himself. He wasn't prideful. And, and he spoke the truth. And so we shouldn't have this pride in our hearts because if we take care of the pride in our hearts and we have the Lord check that, then it'll take care of the look, whatever that is. And maybe you'll see it someday. You'll be in the mirror getting ready. You'll be brushing your teeth and all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll go, that's it. That's the proud look that he hates. I need to watch, be careful about that, and I need to focus on that. Then he says, number two, a lying tongue. He doesn't like that. Now, young people, your parents will probably tell you, you mess up, mess, if you're going you me- to mess up. When you mess up, just don't lie about it. Just be honest with your mess-ups. That's very true. We don't want to compound things by lying. And God doesn't like lying as well. And, you know, we can say, oh, that's a little white lie. And our culture has said that enough times to where we can think oh you know it's 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 okay Jesus always said before he started many statements he said I tell you the truth it's literally amen amen in the Greek he's saying I tell you the truth we're supposed to speak the truth in love and we think well you know I technically said the right thing but they came to a different conclusion because it because I know they're going to come to this different conclusion if I say the technically right thing well now you're not lying in that in the strict sense now you're being deceptive which is which is just as bad so you can't get out of not lying by being deceptive it doesn't work it sounds like I've tried this in the past somewhere but um, it's it's all it's all theory it's all theory he says hands that shed innocent blood i just think of abortion I think of people being slaughtered all over the world by terrorists. I think of um, just people that commit murder. I mean, it just seems like wickedness is compounding and getting exponentially more prevalent in our society. He hates all of that. 
And he sees all of that. That's the thing. We only see a limited picture of what's going on. He sees everything and inside what their heart and their motivations and all, everything. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. So people that devise evil, feet that are swift in, in running to evil, being quick to express ourselves in an evil way. Verse 19, of number six, a false witness who speaks lies. That's different than a lying tongue. This is someone that is actually speaking against somebody. I can say something that's not true to God or about a person or whatever, but when I'm testifying on behalf of a court legally or in a matter that's very important and I speak something false against somebody, a person, he hates that as well and he sees all of it. And lastly, number seven, one who sows discord among the brethren. We can't be divisive. We can't be causing division in the, in the church or any other place in families. He hates all of that. And you know what? The interesting thing about all these seven things in verses 16 through 19, and really is just like the ultimate expression of these things, is what they did to the Lord Jesus. They did all these things. Those Pharisees had proud looks. Caiaphas had a proud look, I'm sure. Whatever it was, he had it. They were lying tongues. There was false witnesses. There were hands that shed innocent blood. That was the Lord Jesus. The, 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 the wicked plans that they devised, they planned all of that. They, how quick they were to turn on him. The false witnesses that they set up and how that divided that country and, and, and the Jewish people in so many ways. It's horrific. God hated all of that in one sense. In the other sense, he loved it because it needed to happen to pay our penalty. It's a good segue into preparing for communion as we're going to enjoy today because it pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. We're told that in Isaiah. And that wrath that we deserved was placed upon him and he, he loved his only son. He said it multiple times. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He loved his son. But he loved us and that was his plan for us to be able to have a relationship with him. So he hated all these things, but yet they were necessary. That's why Jesus said in the garden, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. And there was silence then, and there's silence today about any other way. If there was any other way, I guarantee you the father would not let his son go through what he went through. And to think and to say that there's any other way to heaven... When Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, is an affront to God, it's an insult to, insult to him, and he hates it. And we can't cave to the pressure in this world. The pluralism, that's what it's called, pluralism, where there's many ways to God, it's just going to increase, it's going to increase, and it's going to be just more uh, out there that we don't love people, we hate people because we exclude people, and this, we need to love everybody. And we're not loving because we're not loving everybody because we're excluding some people and saying some people's lifestyles and some people's ways that they're claiming to go to the Father are false. When Jesus said, all these things are going to happen. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. We can't be taken off guard by that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wisdom that's here. We keep saying that and praying that over and over again because it's just your word's amazing. And we're so grateful for it, Lord. We are growing so much but as a result of it. We just pray, Lord, that you would help us. Pray that you would help us, God, to be the good, the good disciples that you want us to be and to be free from all this stuff. I pray, Father, there would be no 
willful disobedience in these areas, sexual immorality, any of these things. I pray, Lord, any man, woman, or child in this church would immediately forsake those things and repent and turn to you, ask for forgiveness, and get right with you and get as far away from those things as possible. And I pray we'd be pleasing to you within our marriages and how we honor one another. And I pray, Lord, that everyone of us that are married fully take advantage and enjoy the spouses that you've provided in our lives to enjoy. Thank you for being faithful to us. And all those that don't have spouses right now, Lord, we pray that you, if it's your will for them, that you would provide that in your perfect timing and help them to be the people that those future spouses would want them to be in an increasing way. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.